Shalom, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Truth to Torah. So, what are we going to talk about today? I go on Facebook quite often, as most of you do, and I see this question come up all the time. What is the question? It's a question about Mashiach, but not just Mashiach, Mashiach ben Yosef. I was thinking myself the other day, I posted on Facebook kind of a little funny thing. It was a quote from, uh, I I believe it was Godfather 3, when Michael Corleone says, just when I thought I was out, they got me back in. And that's the way I feel. Because I, I, I don't really want to get into these controversial things. I don't really think it's important for us to be divisive and to argue with each other and to argue with other people as well. It really becomes these kind of cyclical arguments where it really goes nowhere. But at the same time, I think it's ridiculous when I see people posting things or discussing things that I I feel like they really don't know about, they really don't understand, and it's even more disconcerting when I see them posting uh, snippets from rabbinic text, from Jewish texts, from ancient Jewish texts, trying to prove their points about who Mashiach ben Yosef might be. So I thought it would be a really good subject to tackle. And so that's going to be the subject today. I want to thank first Rav Moshe Shulman and Rav Pinchas Winston for some of the insight that I got in reading some of their material along with some of my own studies on this subject. I want to start off with a pasuk with a verse in the book of Deuteronomy and Devarim, chapter 16, verse 18, that says, Judges and officers you will set up in all your gates. There are many commentaries that explain this particular pasuk, this particular verse in Scripture, on different levels. One of which is the level of every individual acting as a judge in his own life. Because life is really one judgment after another. We have judgments that we do correctly, that kind of lead to growth in our lives, and and result in alam haba, the world to come. And then we have bad judgments that we make that kind of lead us to just the opposite, um, where we're constantly making tshuva, and that's the, the amazing part of a relationship with Hashem, is the idea of being in a constant state of tshuva, a constant state of repentance, a constant state of trying to draw close to Hashem, draw near to our Creator. The Talmud teaches and advises and warns. It says, a judge only has what his eyes see, from Bava Batra 131a. There's also a very famous story that I want to talk about as well, which I think is relevant. Sometimes people hear the stories and they say, ah, what are you talking about? How is that relevant? But this is a famous, famous story from the Tractate of Makot in Talmud Bavli in the Babylonian Talmud. Most people know this story. If you don't know, um, uh, it it really, really is an, an amazing story, and hopefully we get something out of it as it relates to this. What, it, what the story is, is that it happened that Rabban Gamliel, Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah, and Rabbi Yehoshua, and Rabbi Akiva were going to Jerusalem. They were going to Jerusalem. And the, when they arrived at Har Hatzofim, to the Mount Scopus, they tore their clothes as a sign of mourning over the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, over the, the Holy Temple. When they reached the Temple Mount, it says they saw a fox coming out from a place where the Holy of Holies had been, and they began to cry, the other rabbis. But Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva laughed. And they asked them, Akiva, why do you laugh? And he said to them, why do you cry? They said, if the prophecy concerning the place which the verse says, the stranger who approaches, meaning the Holy of Holies, will be put to death, from Bamidbar, from the book of Numbers, chapter 1, verse 51, they said, if that's now fulfilled, that for the mountain of Zion, which is desolate, the foxes walk upon it, which is from Lamentations, Echa, 518, should we not cry? So, 
Um, because in that particular verse, in Echa, in the book of Lamentations, 151, it actually says that when the tabernacle is set out, the Levite shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levite shall set it up, and if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. So they're using these, these verses, and sometimes people say, Ah, when we look at the Talmud, it makes no sense. These guys quote these verses, and, and we have no idea. This is very important where we talk about context again. You can't take snippets of rabbinic text like so many people do and just take a verse here and a verse here and try to make an argument. You have to know what the context is. You have to know what the Mishnah is, what the law that's being discussed, and then understand that the Gemara, the discussion um, that's being discussed on that Gemara has some significance if you really look at the whole story contextually. So they used these verses, and they said, that's why we're crying. And he said, Rabbi Akiva answered, and he said, that's the, exactly, precisely the reason why I am laughing. He says, it says, in Yeshiahu chapter 8, verse 2, it says, I will take faithful witness to record Uriah HaKohen and Zechariah, or Zechariah. Why Uriah mentioned together with Zechariah? He says, the former was from the time of the first temple, and the latter was from the time of the second temple. He says, it is therefore to make the prophecy of Zechariah dependent on the prophecy of Uriah. Uriah said, and, and we see this in Micha, in the book of Micah, chapter 3, verse 12, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, and Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, shall become heaps. And then it says, Zechariah said, in Micha chapter 8, verse 4, there shall still sit old men and old women in the streets of Jerusalem, in the streets of Jerusalem. He said, now until the prophecy of Uriah was fulfilled, I was very concerned that the prophecy of Zechariah might not be fulfilled. However, now that I have seen the fulfillment of both Uriah's prophecy, it is clear that the prophecy of Zechariah will come to be. Having heard this, they told him, Akiva, you have consoled us. Akiva, you have consoled us. Not consoled, consoled. Um, and that's from Makot, from Talmud Bavli, from the Babylonian Talmud in Makot 24b. So, the truth is, when we talk about the legends and the predictions and the stories about Mashiach ben Yosef recorded in the Talmud and the Midrashim. We have to understand that that all of this material is consistent in the fact that Mashiach ben Yosef will appear during the time or just before the time of Mashiach ben David and will fight the wars for Hashem. So I want to look at some of the Midrashim first because this is the kind of thing that people post all the time. And they post it to try to say, look, the rabbis believe that Mashiach ben Yosef was the suffering servant too. So we see Mashiach ben Yosef, the Messiah, son of Yosef, has been established all throughout the Midrashic literature. We see, and I'm only going to give you yeah, I can't give you all of it, but let's look at some of them. Pesikta de Rav Kahana says, here are the four craftsmen, and that's important, the, the, that term, the four craftsmen, are listed as Eliyahu, or Elijah, the King Mashiach, Melchizedek, and the anointed for war. Now, Melchizedek, I can do, and I probably will have to do, another complete video on the concept of Melchizedek, by the way, it's not Melchizedek. It's not a name. It's Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. Two different words, if you look at it in the Hebrew. Um, but that's a completely another story, like I said. Pesikta Rabati um, says, Likewise, the four craftsmen are listed as Eliyahu, the king Mashiach, Melchizedek, and the anointed for war. Uh, in uh, Breshit Rabbah, in Genesis Rabbah, it says, the blessing upon Yosef from uh, Devarim, from Deuteronomy 33.17, is applied to the war Messiah 
And then later on, we are told that the war Messiah will be a descendant of Yosef. In Perkei the Rabbi Eliezer, it says, like the Sefer of Zorebabel, um, Zorebabel, it refers to Menachem ben Amiel. And he is referred to as the son of Yosef. And in other editions, the name of Menachem, son of Amiel, son of Yosef, is omitted, is omitted and the text simply refers to the son of David, the son of David, according to the Zohar. And the Sefer Zorevavel, Menachem is the Mashiach ben David, and we see this in the Gemara as well. Pirkei uh, de Rebbe Eliezer is often thought to have, um, some people think that it has Christian influences. It's interesting because I just had coffee with a friend of mine who's a Hebrew scholar, um, and we were talking about this. We were actually talking about Yeshiyahu, Isaiah 53, um, as it relates to this subject, and he, he was talking about that as well from his understanding as a Hebrew scholar and a linguist, that, that there is some question uh, that, that some believe that uh, some of the, the, the things that we look at here might have had some kind of Christian influence in them as well. Um, we, we often see the Sadja Gaon talk about this concept as well in, in his description in Emunot, Emunot Vedeot, um, talking about Messianic redemption. Um, that Mashiach ben Yosef will appear in the upper Galilee, in the north. And uh, prior to the coming of Mashiach ben David, he will gather the children of Israel around him. He will march to Yerushalayim and thereafter reestablish uh, temple worship and set up his own uh, dominion. Um, we see similarities in this, like I said, in Sefer Zorabavel. Um um, which suggests to us that the Sadja Gaon knew about some of these things as well. And we see in Tana Deve Eliyahu, it also talks again about the four craftsmen, uh, and they're listed the same as in the Talmud, as Eliyahu, Mashiach ben David, the righteous priest, and Mashiach ben Yosef. In um, the al- alphabet of Akiva ben Yosef, like Pesikta Rabati, the text refers to an Ephraim Mashiach, an Ephraim Messiah, and also asserts that Mashiach ben Yosef will be found in the Upper Galil, in the Galilee area. Midrash Tehillim also refers to Mashiach ben Ephraim. Um, Bamidbar Rabbah, Numbers Rabbah. It says here the righteous priest has replaced. The four craftsmen are listed as Eliyahu, the Redeemer from uh, David, from David, the War Messiah from Ephraim, and Messiah from Manasseh. Yalkut Shemoni lists the four craftsmen again as Eliyahu, Mashiach ben David, the Righteous Priest, and Mashiach ben Yosef. And then Midrash Tanchuma um, has here the War Messiah is again a descendant of Yosef. So we see all these um, Midrashim talk about this concept of four craftsmen, and we see the idea of Mashiach ben Yosef as one of them. Also, sometimes with Mashiach ben David, or a righteous priest, or we see him described as a war messiah. Uh, so, really what ends up happening is, when we deal with people who do not understand the Jewish concept of two messiahs, they make the error of misinterpreting some important Jewish texts, specifically in the, the Talmud, in Sanhedrin 98b, which shows two opposing verses from the Tanakh, both of them alluding to one who either comes with the clouds of heaven or one who comes lowly and riding on an ass. And we know, my friends, how they misinterpret it and who they try to say that this is speaking about. However, in order to understand this passage in the Talmud, we need to understand who Mashiach ben Yosef is and where he fits into rabbinic and biblical eschatology. And to get this, we need to find out three things. Number one, what does the Tanakh say about who is the Mashiach, who is the Messiah? What do the rabbis mean by Mashiach? What do they mean by Messiah? And number three, where do the rabbis get their idea of more than one Messiah.
or this concept of two messiahs. So first of all, we know that we don't really see the term Mashiach specifically spoken of in the Tanakh. We see um, allusions to this concept in the idea of the um, Mashiach. And if you understand Hebrew, then you'll understand that Mashiach really comes from the root, um, from the verb Mashach, which means to smear, so to speak. It's this idea of anointing, this idea of somebody being, being anointed, somebody being chosen for a specific um, service, and specifically service for Hashem. Uh, what we do learn from the Tanakh is that a person is a Messiah, like I said, if he's doing some God-ordained function. So we see uh, the Nevi'im, the prophets, um, priests, or a king, um, but it does not refer to a single special person who is expected to arrive at some future date. Now, some, some of you are going to roll your eyes when I say that. Um, but we know who, what I'm talking about when I say that. So this leads to the question, um, we use this term, Messiah, we use the term Mashiach, and more or less everybody has an understanding about what that term is. At least they know it refers to a person who will appear at the end times. So where do we get this association with that term? And so to understand that, we need to look at some of the end time prophecies of the Tanakh. While much of the arguments um, that we see between people, um, the kind of people that we're talking about, people who misinterpret this, really it relates to passages that are unclear um, as to when or whom they apply. And there are passages in the Tanakh that announce that they are dealing with a specific period called um, what many of us call the end of days or the end of times. Some of them mention particular characters um, that it would seem would play a role. One of the most um, well-known passages um, related to this and related to the end times is from the book of Isaiah, Yeshiahu, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, which says, And it shall come to pass in the end of days that the mountain of uh, Hashem's house shall be established as the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many peoples shall go and say, Come and let us go up to the house or go up to the mountain of um, Hashem, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and he will, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah, and the word of Hashem from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between the nations, and shall, shall decide for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So, Bezat Hashem, God willing, we should only see that day very, very soon. So here we see the announcement of the end of days with a few specifics of that time. Uh, so let's see what will happen, okay? It says the people will gather in Yerushalayim to worship Hashem, that war will end, and the nations will be judged. And then we look at another um, famous one, also in Isaiah, in chapter 11. It uh, says um, this. It says, And there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse, and a twig shall grow forth out of his roots, and the spirit of Hashem shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of Hashem, and his delight shall be in the fear of Hashem, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither decide after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the land, and he shall smite the land with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, 
and faithfulness the girdle of his reins, and the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. <laughs> that's a funny one. I'm sorry. I'll have to tell you another time why I think that's funny. Um, if you want to know, I'll give you a little bunny trail. Um, Google the Mandela effect and the wolf and the lamb, and you'll find something very interesting. Uh, and the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the basilic's den, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Hashem as the waters cover the sea. Baruch Hashem. And it shall come to pass in that day that the root of Jesse that standeth for an ensign of the peoples unto him shall the nation seek, and his resting place shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that Hashem will set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of his people that shall remain from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And he will set up an ensign for the nations and will assemble the dispersed of Israel and gather together the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart and they shall harass Judah, shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. And they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines on the west. Together they shall spoil the children of the east. They shall put forth their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And Hashem will utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and with his scorching wind will he shake his hand over the river and will smite it into seven streams and cause men to march over dry shod and there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people that shall remain from Assyria like as there was for Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Mitzrayim, out of the land of Egypt. Boy, that was a mouthful. So, besides the repetition of what is in Yeshyahu and Isaiah 2, this passage adds a few points that add to our picture of the end times. Number one, there will be a leader from the tribe of Judah who will also be the judge. Number two, Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel, and Judah, the southern kingdom, will no longer contend with each other. Number three, the Jewish people will be gathered from exile. So we see three more things added. Then we come to, to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 15, it says, And the word of Hashem came unto me, saying, And thou, son of man, take thee one stick, and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Yosef, the stick of Ephraim, and all of the house of Israel, his companions, and join them for one to another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. Excuse me. And when the children of your people shall speak unto you, saying, uh, Will thou not see us? What does this, what means this, or what is meant by this? Say to him, Thus saith Hashem, God, behold, I will take the stick of Yosef, which is in the hand of Ephraim. That's important, because we know that Yosef comes from Ephraim. That's why it's important to understand why he's called Mashiach ben Yosef. And the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them unto him together with the stick of Judah and make them one stick, and they should be one in my hand. And the sticks whereon Uritus shall be in your hand before their eyes, and say to them, Thus says Hashem, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land, and make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to, the, to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all, neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them, so they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and my servant David shall be king over them, and all shall have one shepherd, they shall also walk in my ordinances, and observe my statutes, and do them, 
and they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, they and their children and their children's children forever. And David, David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. Moreover, now we're talking about Mashiach ben David, right? Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will establish them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My dwelling place also shall be over them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the nations shall know that I am Hashem that sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. Baruch Hashem. Another one that we should see soon and speedily in our days. Bezrat Hashem. God willing. Now, in addition to the same old themes that we talked about, we see more added to the picture again. So we see one, Ephraim and Judah will be joined together with Judah as the lead. This leader will be a descendant of David Amelech, King David. He is called the king, prince, and leader of that time. And there will be a sanctuary, there will be a temple. What's interesting about this passage in Ezekiel is that Ephraim and Judah are on the same level, but the Judah will still lead. What happens to the leader of Ephraim? If we look further in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 40 to 48, which talks about the reestablishment of the temple, uh, we see another important figure in that time. And there we learn about the priesthood, and specifically in, uh, in chapter 44, Uh, it refers to one particular single priest, okay? And then finally, uh, we look at, uh, in Malachi chapter 3, which adds another piece of information in verse 23 and 24 that says, Behold, I will send to you Eliyahu the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of Hashem, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest they come and smite the land with other destruction. So to summarize, what we have seen in these end time um, verses that we're reading, there will be a Davidic king or leader, a priest, and the prophet Eliyahu. Interesting, right? We talked about the four craftsmen, and we kept seeing the same type of people, the same characters. And sometime during the last uh, late Second Temple period, we see that these people are referred to as messiahs. If we go and we look at the, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, we also see information that says, until the prophet comes and the messiahs of Aharon and Israel. So here we see uh, three figures mentioned above. We see the prophet, the priest of Aharon, and the leader of Israel. So here are three messianic type characters in the end of days in the biblical text, and in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, So, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's another thing that we see, which is that the priestly Messiah seems to have the superior position here. So we have uh, the, the descendant of David from Yehuda being uh, kind of equal, we see Yehuda, Judah, and Ephraim, um, southern and northern kingdoms equal, but Judah is the leading. And here we see this kind of, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, this concept of the priestly Messiah having a, a super, superior position. And then we also see that there is no mention of the house of Israel, the northern tribes referred to as Ephraim um, uh, in the Tanakh. This is really not a big problem because we have limited material in the Dead Sea Scrolls about this. But what do we see about Ephraim and the leader of Ephraim? So to kind of understand this concept of the two messiahs that we're talking about um, uh, that we see in rabbinic text, uh, we'll look at a couple of verses and we'll look in Zechariah in the book of Zechariah, chapter 2. And it says in verse 1, And I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. 
And I said unto the Malach, unto the angel that spoke with me, what are these? And he said unto me, there, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And Hashem showed me four craftsmen. Wow, here we see the four craftsmen again. Then said I, what come these to do? And he spoke saying, these the horns which scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. These then are come to frighten them, to cast down the horns of the nations, which lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it, to scatter it. And I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth and what is the length. And behold, the malach, the angel that spoke with me, went forth, and another malach, another angel, went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Yerushalayim shall be inhabited without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith Hashem, will be unto her a wall of fire round about her, and I will be the glory in the midst of her. Flee then from the land of the north, saith Hashem, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, says Hashem. Ho, Zion, Zion, escape that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says Hashem of hosts, who sent me after glory unto the nations which spoiled you. Surely he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they should be a spoil to those that serve them. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So these verses seem to be talking about, again, uh, the end of days. Jerusalem is filled again with people. And verse, uh, verse 10 indicates the ingathering, um, which we have seen the Tanakh places in this time period, in the end of days. But if we look back, we see that there are four horns, which represent the enemies of the Jewish people who sent them into exile. Opposed to them are four craftsmen. So we see the four horns that exile them, and then we see these four craftsmen who cut them down. And these four seem to be important figures in the end times. So who are they? And I already read to you some of them in the Midrashim. So what do the rabbis teach? Well, the rabbis talk about this in the Talmud, in the uh, in Mesechet, in the Tractate of Sukkah. 52b, it says, and Hashem showed me four craftsmen. Who are these four craftsmen? Rav Chuna, the son of uh, Bizna, said in the name of Rabbi Shimon, these are Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben Yosef, Eliyahu, and the righteous priests. So here we're seeing again in Sukkah 52, the same thing that we saw several times in the Midrashim. The four of the rabbis are the three people mentioned in the Dead Sea Scrolls, plus the leader of Ephraim. So what is the job of this fourth person, this fourth person that we see? If we go to the prophet Ovadia, it says in chapter 1, starting in verse 17, but in Mount Zion there shall be those that escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Yosef a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for Hashem has spoken, and they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the lowland, the Philistines, and they shall possess the land of Ephraim, and the field of Samaria, the Shomron, and Benjamin, Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captivity of this host of the children of Israel that are among the Canaanites, even to uh, uh, Zarephath, and to the captivity of Yerushalayim that is in the Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And listen to this, verse 21, and save yours, plural, shall come up on Mount Sion, on Mount Zion, to judge the mountain of Esav, and the kingdom shall be Hashem's. So we see from verse 18 that the house of Yosef, including its leader, has a military role in this period of time that we call the end of days. And then verse 21 indicates that this is a joint effort. From this we see 
that the time when the Mashiach ben Yosef comes ends with a period of peace. So, this would indicate that the period that we've seen and all of this that we're looking at so far, there is a world of peace and a renewal of the kingdom of David Amelech, the kingdom of King David. And at the beginning, we spoke about judges and judging correctly. So now let's talk about perspective, because perspective is very important. Rabbi Akiva changed the perspective of some very big rabbis with just a few words when we talked about that story in Makot. So if we are people, and people do not pursue the correct perspective and seek it out, it's not going to seek out us either. Look, you can rely on what others tell you, or you can follow your presuppositions of what you think things say, or what you think things mean, or you can take and you can copy and paste from some Google document or Rabbi Google and think that you know what you're talking about. But that did not work for those rabbis that were, that were hanging out with Rabbi Akiva. See, what they did was they were willing to look at perspective, and with just a few words, they went from crying to laughing like Rabbi Akiva. Now, I can assure you that if you take that path, the result will be an illusion about life and a grossly mistaken understanding, as so many have, about the concept of Mashiach and specifically about Mashiach ben Yosef. Writes Rabbi Halil Mish. Kelov, in the name of the Vilna Gaon, this is 200 years ago, he said, the purpose in our bringing about the ingathering of the exiles is to set up faithful people for the sake of the unification of the two Mashiachs, Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David in the gates of Yerushalayim. According to our, uh, and he says, this in order to return the divine presence, the Shekhinah, to bring about the redemption the true redemption and sanctification of God, according to our teacher, the Vilna Gaon, Zichron Levracha, we can bring about with the help of God and through these strong people, these two Mashiachs, and to learn well all the levels and their purposes in practical terms. The general purpose of the two Mashiachs, Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David, throughout all the generations has been to protect and fight against the three heads of the Klipot, Esav, Ishmael, and the Erev Rav, the mixed multitude. And he says the specific role of Mashiach ben Yosef is against Esav, who is the Klipa. Klipa is shell of the left side. This is from the Kabbalah. And the main purpose of Mashiach ben David is against Ishmael, the Klipa of the right. And together they go against Esav, and Yishmael, who are the ox and the donkey from the side of impurity. The joining of Esav and Yishmael is the result of Armelias, the Tsar, or the, the prince of the Erev Rav, who are able to destroy Israel and the entire world. May God have mercy. The main drive of the Erev Rav is to unify Esav and Yishmael and to separate the two Mashiachs. Esav being Edom, or Christianity, and Yishmael, we know, being Islam. Therefore, our main service in battle is to break and to remove the strength of the Erev Rav, the Klipa, the shell of Armelias, the evil from Yisrael. This is from the teaching of the Vilna Gaon. He goes on to say the war against the Arab Rav is the most difficult and bitterest of all since it's very hard to know what they are planning and how much damage they plan to cause. On the surface, they can appear to be peace-loving and docile when in fact their end goal is just the opposite with respect to the Jewish people and Torah ideals. And we see many people trying to destroy, destroy the Torah. The only question we have to ask ourselves is, who is the Erev Rav? Who can fight against an enemy you can't recognize? Are they Jewish? Are they not Jewish? 
According to some, they are. According to others, they're not. But we don't know. However, according to everyone, we shall see, Bezrat Hashem, that they are very problematic and set up the final showdown of history. There's a footnote of this to the above quote, says regarding the klipa of the Arab Rav, the Zohar says, on the right side of Avraham, the level of chesed, revenge will be taken against Yishmael and his appointed leader. On the left of Yitzchak, the level of fear or givorah, revenge will be taken against Esav and his appointed leader. Through the two Mashiachs, the one from the right being Mashiach David, ben David, and the one from the left being Mashiach ben Yosef, until the coming of Shiloh from Bereshit, from Genesis 49.10. The faithful shepherd on the level of Teferet Yisrael, through them revenge will be taken against Esav and Yishmael and the Erev Rav, because the Erev Rav is taught to be a combination of Esav and Yishmael, just as Yaakov is a combination of Avraham and Yitzchak. <laughs> I know this is a lot to take in and a mouthful. But it's a lifetime worth of learning and studying from these great rabbis, um, moving from level to level of Torah understanding. It incorporates learning Torah not just for the sake of knowing halacha, but also for the sake of understanding Jewish history and God's providence and his expectations of our involvement in that. A person who possesses information and responds accordingly in this world, in the secular world, is considered savvy. In the realm of Torah, he's called a chacham, a wise person. Um, God willing, we've seen the end of things like this, the ends of crusades and pogroms at the hands of Esav. Um, But the problem with Esav has always been that he's a charmer. The way he dresses or speaks or seems to act culturally refined, And somehow Jews always get lulled into trusting him, only to get burned royally in the end. Perhaps this is why Chazal, our sages, saw fit to make it clear from the start that no matter what you want to believe about Esav, it is a well-known law that Esav hates Yaakov from Bahalotacha, from the Parsha. Since 1948, we've also seen the battle against Yishmael. So let me summarize the rabbinic writings with regards to Mashiach ben Yosef. So we know that according to the Tanakh, there is going to be a time of great trouble, and a leader of the tribe of Ephraim will arise to lead the military against these nations who control Yerushalayim at the time. He will be successful, but after his initial victory, he will die in battle. This will cause great mourning, and many will lose their faith. At that time, the Mashiach ben David will be revealed. He shall finish the battle, after which... He will resurrect all the dead, starting with Mashiach ben Yosef. Both of them will go up to Mount Zion to fulfill the prophecy in Ovadia, verse 21, that says, And the saviors shall go up to Mount Zion and judge Mount Esav, and the kingdom will be for Hashem. There is the fulfillment of all the major prophecies, like an end to war and world and a world of peace and a Jewish people and a restored Jerusalem with the third temple. So, finally, number one, there are two different people from two different tribal families. One, Mashiach ben David from Yehuda, The other, Mashiach ben Yosef from Ephraim. They live at the same time. Not one person coming at two different times. Mashiach ben Yosef never takes the throne, nor is he entitled to it. Mashiach ben Yosef is a warrior. Mashiach ben David also will be. Mashiach ben Yosef will be killed in battle and he will be the first to be raised from the dead by Mashiach ben David. There is much more that can be said on this as well. So at the end of the day, we have to remember, discussions about Messianic matters, be it ben Yosef or ben David, are really not matters of Jewish law or halacha. It has nothing to do with Jewish law. And it doesn't fall into the category of belief in the coming of Mashiach, which is one of the 13 principles of Jewish faith. In other words, we know that in Rambam's principles of faith, 
that we're supposed to wait for Mashiach every day. But we're talking about Mashiach ben David. We're not talking about Mashiach ben Yosef. This idea that somehow people have in their head that the rabbinic text says that Mashiach ben Yosef is the suffering servant, and this is, uh, and this is somehow connected to the person that is spoken of in the um, the Greek scriptures of the Christians is ridiculous. Why is it ridiculous? Because we presented all this information, my friends, from rabbinic text about Mashiach ben Yosef, about Mashiach ben Yosef being Mashiach ben Yosef because he's from Ephraim, over and over and over again, speaking about him being from Ephraim. In the Greek scriptures of the New Testament, of the Christians, it talks about a lineage and regardless of whether or not you believe this individual existed or didn't exist, is irrelevant. The point is, is that they point to these lineages in order to prove what? That he's Mashiach ben David. Why? Because Mashiach ben David must be a descendant of David HaMelech, King David, through Shlomo HaMelech, through King Solomon. So they will do all of these gymnastics and acrobatics in order to prove that he is from Yehuda, from he's, he's from the tribe of Judah. Fine, no problem. But if you're going to point to the Tanakh and say that not only the Tanakh in scriptures like Yeshiyahu 53, Isaiah 53, which they consider the nuclear bomb, speaking about a suffering servant Messiah, am I going to argue that the rabbis say that this is that the Isaiah 53 could be speaking about uh, Mashiach? The suffering servant Messiah? No, I'm not going to argue that because there is a rabbinic text that says this. But the suffering servant Messiah in Isaiah 53 and any other verse that you're going to bring is speaking about Mashiach ben Yosef, who is from Ephraim. My friends, somebody can't be from two different tribes at the same time. In the same way that we have two Messiahs that both live at the same time and not one person coming twice, Somebody can't be from two tribes. Just does not happen. So messianic discussions are never really clearly set out and explained. There's all kinds of confusion about how messianic events will actually unfold and and the details of this. And this is the reason that... Our sages of blessed memory put all this information down the way they put it down. When we're talking about the future, we're talking about the unleashing of a chain of events. And we map this out according to the rabbi's understandings of those verses in the Tanakh. This is the subject of monumental changes at every moment based on the behavior of individuals involved at any given moment. Remember we talked at the beginning, my friends, about judges? We're involved in these things. The Gemara speaks about it. The Talmud speaks about it. It speaks about the need for us to be involved. This is why tikkun olam, repair of this world, is so important. We see in the prophet Yonah, in Jonah, as it relates to Nineveh, that there was always the component of tshuva, that plays into how things would play out in the end of the story. Just like we mentioned the opposing verses in the Talmud, either coming what? On the clouds of heaven or lowly and riding on a donkey or on an ass. So, as can be seen throughout the literature that we looked at, on the subject, Mashiach ben Yosef is to come as an actual sort of a political figure, this military figure, figure, a flesh and blood human being who fights and dies like any other normal human being. His role in history is set, and it's set not by what people think he is or what people say he is based on their understanding, but the concept, the very concept of Mashiach was developed by the rabbis of Judaism from the verses, from the Gemara, from all of the texts that we've talked about in this video. He's supposed to be a military warrior, almost a general of sorts, 
a man of violence, uh, a man who's going to take back uh, until his time is ended the victory for Bnei Israel on behalf of Hashem. Nowhere, nowhere at all in classic literature are any specific spiritual attributes ascribed to him. He is never described as some kind of overwhelmingly holy man or righteous individual. He's not described as some enlightened sage or a master of Kabbalah. Um, Mashiach ben Yosef has always been described in classical Jewish literature as just what he is supposed to be. A military leader and a leader of latter-day Israel whose role in history is to wage the wars of Hashem against the evil empire of Edom slash Esav. This is who Mashiach ben Yosef will be, just as originally described and all later embellishments about his career, about his soul, about his spiritual nature, and his identity may or may not be true. The Zohar teaches, the Zohar HaKodesh, the Zohar Zohar HaKadosh, the Holy Zohar, teaches an alternative. According to the Zohar, Mashiach ben Yosef is to be killed by a king of Persia, Persia, modern-day Iran, Iran, who is to invade and conquer Israel. Regardless of who it is that gets to kill Mashiach ben Yosef, apparently his his fate is to face death. This is agreed upon by all sources. But his fate is not to face death 2,000 years ago. His fate is to face death when he comes and he fights the battle of Hashem in the end of days, according to what the scriptures say in the Tanakh. Although Kabbalists, since the days of the Arizal, the Holy Ari, have prayed that Mashiach ben Yosef would not have to die. Such a change like that would require such drastic changes amongst the Jewish people, the likes of which have never been seen in history. Yet the classic Midrashim relating the matter never actually revealed to us the reason why this has to be so, that he has to die. For the reason to this, we have to turn to the literature of the Kabbalah, of the Kabbalists. Rather than proceed with uh, kind of an in-depth review of all of that material, which would take more time than we have on this video, let's summarize major points here. Rabbi Chaim Vital, master Kabbalist, and the one who codified the writings of the Ari, (coughs) sums up that uh, Mashiach ben Yosef's fate uh, by saying this, that his date with death is due to the fact that his soul emanates from the tree of knowledge of good and evil instead of emanating from the tree of life. And this metaphor is packed with so much meaning. As we know, in Gan Eden, in the Garden of Eden, there were these two trees. Eating the fruits of one brought eternal life, and eating the fruits of the other brought death. Adam, as we know, ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and brought death into the world. Mashiach ben Yosef, as the true son of man, the son of Adam, follows in his footsteps, and like every other human being since Gan Eden, is destined to go the way of all the earth. Mashiach ben David, on the other hand, is said to eat from the tree of life, and as such will introduce to the world the radical removal of the concept of what we know as death. Yet the metaphor of these two trees also goes beyond the mere application to human versus spiritual life. The two trees have come to represent the two ways of understanding the Torah, 
the Peshat, the simple truth of what we read in the verses, and the Sod, the Kabbalah, or the hidden. Kabbalah has always been called the tree of life, whereas Peshat, the study, the study of what we consider the Peshat, the, the real meaning, the non-mystical Torah, has always been called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By saying that Ben Yosef emanates from the tree of knowledge, Rabbi Chaim Vital is clearly insinuating something very revelatory. Mashiach ben Yosef is destined not to be a Kabbalist or a student of the Kabbalah. As emanating from the tree of knowledge, ben Yosef's outlook on life deals exclusively with life in this world without concern for the life in the spiritual world in the Olam Haba in the world to come. Mashiach ben Yosef might very well be <laughs> a similar uh, being a dreamer um, like his father Yosef. Um, Mashiach ben Yosef could be, when we talked about somebody who's a man of the world, who has this knowledge of the world, we talked about being savvy as opposed to somebody who's a Torah giant who's known as a Talmud Chacham or a Chacham. He's probably going to be coming more as this kind of modern-day secular politician almost. It's very possible who, who will come onto the world stage. You know, this is just a possible perspective, you know, just kind of talking about this as an aside. In his heart and his uh, private practice, perhaps he could be have some righteousness and maybe somebody who's looking at the Torah and, and, and conservative, but on the outside, uh, probably not so much. If Moshiach ben Yosef is to be anything like his father Yosef, who he's named after through, uh, through Yosef from Ephraim, then it's possible that he, he would most likely follow in his footsteps and appear one way in public and be a completely different person in private. And we can also go into a whole thing about that of being recognized or not recognized, another mistranslation and misinterpretation by people who want to say, oh, they didn't recognize him, and then they will recognize him, meaning that someday we Jews will wake up to the fact uh, who really the Mashiach is. Look, in light of the fact, as we discussed, that uh, Yehuda, Judah, may be a metaphor for religious Jews and Yosef a metaphor for secular Jews, we can foresee Mashiach ben Yosef being a Jewish leader who's not really recognized and accepted by maybe the religious community at large. It's possible. Very, very possible. You know, I've even heard it said that some people in talking about this Mashiach ben Yosef and being kind of a secular and being one way in private, another way in public, people have even said maybe Bibi, maybe Netanyahu could be Mashiach ben Yosef in our generation. As such, Mashiach ben Yosef could very well lead a secular Israel, similar as did other people and other characters in uh, Tanakh have, including, including um, Yosef being a leader of Mitzrayim. Look, the wars of Mashiach ben Yosef are called the wars of Hashem. However, as with all wars of Hashem, that does not exactly mean that the war, wars are fought in the name of Hashem. We remember that Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed Yerushalayim and exiled Yehuda, exiled Judah, acted as Hashem's agent. He was used by Hashem to do this. As the divine agent, he ruthlessly murdered tens of thousands of Jews, burned down the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple, and perpetuated so many horrible things. Nonetheless, the Tanakh and the scriptures are clear that he acted as the unwitting and unknowing agent of Hashem to punish our people. Nebuchadnezzar acted for Hashem, but not in the name of Hashem. And it's possible, I'm just saying it's possible that Mashiach ben Yosef could very well do the same thing. I want to close with this. The Rambam in Hilchot Melachim, in the Laws of the Kings, writes... Our sages taught from Brechot 34b, there will be no difference between the current age and the era of Mashiach except our emancipation from subjugation to the 
foreign kingdoms. The simple meaning of the words of the prophets appears to imply that the war of Gog and Magog in Yechezkel in Ezekiel chapter 38 will take place at the beginning of the Messianic age before the war of Gog and Magog. A prophet will arise to rectify Israel's conduct and prepare their hearts for the Geulah, for the redemption, as it is written in Malachi 3.23, Behold, I am sending you Eliyahu. We talked about this before, before the advent of the great and awesome day of Hashem. He will not come in order to declare the pure, impure, nor to declare the impure, pure, nor will he come in order to disqualify the lineage of those presumed to be blemished. Rather, he will come in order to establish peace in the world. As the above prophecy continues in that prophet, he will bring back the hearts of the fathers to the children. Some of the sages say that Eliyahu will appear immediately before the coming of Mashiach. All these and similar matters cannot be clearly known by man until they occur. This is the Rambam, for they are undefined in the words of the prophets. Even the sages have no established tradition regarding these matters beyond what is implied by the verses. Hence, there is divergence of opinion among them. In any case, neither the sequence of these events nor their precise details are among the fundamental principles of the faith, as we discussed before. One should not occupy himself at length. Listen, my friends, what this says. One should not occupy himself at length with the Agadot and Midrashim that deal with these and similar matters, nor should he deem them of prime importance, for they bring one to neither the awe nor the love of Hashem. Similarly, one should not try to calculate the appointed time for the coming of Mashiach. Our sages declared in Sanhedrin 97b, May the spirits of those who attempt to calculate the final time of Mashiach's coming expire. Rather, one should await his coming and believe in the general conception of the matter as we have explained. During the era of the king Mashiach, once his kingdom has been established and all of Israel has gathered around him, the entire nation's line of descent will be established on the basis of his words through the prophetic spirit which will rest upon him as it is written. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier. He will purify the lineage of the Levites first, stating that this one is a priest of defined lineage and this one is a Levite of defined lineage. Those whose lineage he does not recognize will be relegated to the status of Israelites. This is implied by the following verse in Ezra. The governor said to them, they shall not eat of the most holy things until a priest arises who will wear the Urim and Tumim. For this verse, one can infer that the genealogy of those presumed to be of unquestioned priestly and Levitical lineage will be traced by means of the prophetic spirit, and those found to be of such lineage will be made known. By Mashiach, this is what it says. He will define the lineage of the Israelites according to their tribe alone. He will make known to each person's tribal origin, stating... This one is from this tribe, and this one is from another tribe. However, concerning a person who is presumed to be of unblemished lineage, he will not state that he is illegitimate or he is of slave lineage. For the law rules that once a family has become intermingled within the entire Jewish people, they may remain intermingled. The sages and prophets did not yearn for the messianic order, or the messianic era, I'm sorry, in order that the Jewish people rule over the entire world, nor in order that they have dominion over the, the Gentiles, nor that they be exalted by them, nor in order that they eat and drink and celebrate. Rather, their aspiration was that if the Jewish people be free to involve themselves in Torah and its wisdom without anyone to oppress us or disturb us, and thus be found worthy of life in the Olam Haba, in the world to come, as we explained in Hilchot Teshuvah. These are the continued words of the Rambam. In that era, there will be no, there will be neither famine, nor war, neither envy, nor competition, for good things will flow in abundance, and all the delights will be as freely available as dust. 
the occupation of the entire world will be solely to know Hashem. The Jews will therefore be great sages and know the hidden matters and will attain an understanding of their creator to the full extent of human potential. As it is written in Yeshiahu 11.9, for the world will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And Rambam went on and, and on and on and on about this. My friends, we've gone over the verses We've gone over the material in the prophets. We've gone over what the Talmud says. We've gone over what the Midrashim has says, what some of the Agadic material has said. Mashiach ben Yosef is from the tribe of Ephraim. It doesn't matter if you consider him the suffering servant or not. This is not an argument because we know he's going to suffer. We know that he's going to battle on behalf of Hashem and he's going to lose and die the issue remains that we're talking about two messiahs developed within the Jewish literature, developed by our sages. May their memory be for a blessing. And at the end of the day, these are not issues to be misinterpreted. They're not issues to be mistranslated. They're not pointing to anybody else other than who our sages said that they would be two flesh and blood human beings, one who will fight the wars of Hashem, who will lose in battle and die, that will usher in the time of Mashiach ben David. May we see this soon, speedily, and in our days. Amen v'amen. Shalom, and thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the next video in the series of True to Torah.